want to try to show that actually getting from France to Ireland without flying is actually possible. So we want to have a look. Is it possible to do it by train together with ferry? How easy is it? How much does it cost? How reliable is it? How comfortable is it? Um, and so we're putting it to the test. Welcome to today's episode of The Jolt. It's the 6th of December. I'm Kira Taylor. From today, I'll be hosting alongside Sam Morgan, bringing you all the latest climate and energy news from around the world. Just then, you heard from a documentary looking at sustainable travel between Brussels and Dublin. More on that later. First, let's dive into the top climate and energy stories from around the world. Twenty twenty three is set to be the hottest year on record, with ocean temperatures also hitting record highs, according to scientists from the European Union's Copernicus Climate Change Service. November was the sixth month in a row to break records, with an average daily temperature of fourteen point two two degrees Celsius. It comes as a report from the University of Exeter and Stanford School of Sustainability shows twenty twenty three witnessed a record level of global carbon emissions from fossil fuels. U.S. climate envoy John Kerry and former Vice President Al Gore came in swinging at COP28. According to Bloomberg, Kerry called out some U.S. oil producers, including Chevron Corps, for not doing enough to tackle the climate crisis. Meanwhile, Al Gore criticised petrostates, including Saudi Arabia, for influencing climate negotiations. Saudi Arabia's energy minister has refused to accept language about committing to a fossil fuel phase-down in the final text. Sticking with COP, finance is always a big topic at international climate summits and COP28 is doing nothing to buck the trend. A series of new commitments have been made. The Philippines and the United Nations Development Programme have got Canada's commitment for $5.3 billion in climate finance, including for biodiversity conservation, climate change mitigation, adaptation and resilience with consideration for gender equality. Italy has committed 5 million euros to the Sustainable Energy Fund for Africa. The Arab Coordination Group will allocate $10 billion to support the energy transition until 2030, and the UK is offering £140 million to help developing countries across Africa, Asia and Latin America reach net zero. Over 60 countries, including the United States, Canada and Kenya, signed up to a cooling pledge at COP to tackle emissions relating to keeping cool. Energy-guzzling technology like air conditioning is only likely to become more necessary as extreme weather increases, but a recent United Nations Environment Programme report shows that reducing power consumption of cooling equipment could lead to a reduction of at least 60% of the sector's predicted emissions by 2050. Brazil, Panama, California and the European Commission have joined the Global Offshore Wind Alliance. The group was launched by Denmark, the International Renewable Energy Agency and the Global Wind Energy Council. The newcomers add a further 65 gigawatts of capacity goals to the alliance, which is looking to reach 380 gigawatts of wind in 2030 and 2,000 gigawatts in 2050. The alliance is now made up of 18 countries and two subnational states, as well as civil society and private sector groups. Spain, Romania, St Lucia and the Australian state of Victoria also joined recently. China is mulling plans to set up a coal production reserve by 2027, with the goal of reaching 300 million metric tonnes of dispatchable annual production by the end of the decade. The plan comes on top of a current aim to have a reserve that equals 15% of consumption and aims to stabilise prices and secure sufficient supply. 
Draft rules were issued by the state planner for public comment on Wednesday and indicate that the system would include new mining projects of at least 3 million tonnes of production capacity a year, according to Reuters. Zambia's Copper Belt Energy Corporation will issue the country's first green bond by the end of the year, something it hopes will attract more green finance. The $200 million programme will launch its first tranche of $54 million in December, with the proceeds going towards the country's solar generation. Speaking at COP28, the country's Minister of Green Economy and Environment said the government has developed a green growth strategy as part of its aim to become a prosperous middle-income country by 2023. The strategy is Zambia's blueprint for greening its economy and environment by becoming resource-efficient, low-carbon, climate-resilient and socially inclusive, he added. And finally, Denmark needs to repeat the same level of emissions reductions it managed in the last three decades in just seven years if it wants to reach its targeted 70% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. That's according to the International Energy Agency. While the country has done well so far, a new energy policy review by the IEA shows additional measures are needed, notably in the transport and building sectors. That's it for today's news. Now let's dive into the story of the moment. Heading back to COP28, today the European Union is running a transport day to look into the role of transport in decarbonisation. The EU is working to reduce its hefty transport emissions. It has agreed to introduce a ban on sales of new combustion engine cars in 2035 and has created an emissions trading scheme for road transport. Taking greener options between EU countries requires a lot of work, including better links between trains, ferries, buses and more. If you're a fan of 1980s British satire, you might recall integrated transport being described by civil service parody Yes Minister as a bed of nails. But what is needed to make it a reality in Europe and get people out of planes and onto trains? Recently, railway commentator John Worth and Green politician Kieran Cuff documented their trip from Brussels to Dublin. The full video is available in the show notes, but for a quick overview, they start off in an inevitably rainy Brussels, take the train to Paris, another train to Brittany, a bus to the ferry, a ferry, another bus, and a train that is eventually replaced by a bus. A longer, if more pleasant journey, according to John Worth. After all, you're not going to see dolphins from several miles up in the air. I caught up with him to ask why he'd chosen to document the journey. So it's really important that people can actually get Europe-wide um, without flying. That's the main motivation. That's what drives all of the work that I do. Um, particularly the issue for going to Dublin, of course, is it's one of the hardest places in Europe to get to without flying. Um, it nevertheless involves a long ferry trip, whichever way you do it. Um, and so therefore, we were trying to find ways and means that Kieran Cuff, the MEP and I, that we did this project together. What was the best and most efficient way of doing that? But it's not all plain sailing. Worth highlighted some of the issues faced by passengers on these types of trips. Even lining up the entire journey is quite difficult. You've got to work out when is my train going to arrive here? What bus am I going to need to get to the port? When I arrive at the port on the other side, is there even going to be a, a way to get into Cork from being a skiddy port uh, when we arrived? There is no site or, or travel planner that can help you with that. It requires a lot of very difficult and unclear planning uh, to, to kind of put all of those pieces together. You've got to kind of get the dominoes lined up in the right order. The second point is traveling as a foot passenger on a ferry 
you feel like you're the lowest priority of all. Just everything is geared up that you drive onto a ferry. So literally a footpath to the ferry terminal in, in Roscoff in France. No bus picking you up at the ferry terminal, which is a long way away from the village in Ring Skiddy outside of Cork. Those types of things. It feels like no one has done any of the kind of thinking about the user experience of all of that. Victor Tavernet from the NGO Transport and Environment also pointed out other issues when it comes to Europe's transport infrastructure and the cost of journeys. So you need more like cross-border connections. Um, so it means you need more investment into the network. There is, the network has been underfunded for many years. There has been a great Greenpeace report about it, or like uh, rural and air has been really, infrastructure has been growing and rail has been disregarded. And you also need uh, to reduce the price of the train. And on this, we've made uh, some research and we think we can reducing the tolls paid by train operator can help reduce the price, also reducing VAT, uh, but also uh, making sure that uh, there is a bit of competition uh, in the rail network. Um, so to, to allow also to reduce the price, there are some good data. Uh, for example, between Madrid and Barcelona, where the price has been reduced by I think almost fifty percent, since now there is uh, three different operators competing on, on the network. So this will also allow to improve uh, the shift from air to rail. One of the issues is the disparity between taxes for aviation and other transport methods. International planes always enjoyed a zero rate of VAT which is not the case of international train. So either it, the EU has to fix that all international train has to enjoy a 0% rate of VAT, or they have to uh, to remove this exemption uh, for this uh, for international plane to have a level playing field, because um, the climate impact of aviation is so enormous, so it's unfair that they, they have better economic condition uh, in the law. Um, like uh, I can, like, for one example, is like uh, it's like almost ninety percent emission reduction between Amsterdam and London uh, when you're traveling with the train uh, instead of a plane. Um, so this is like uh, thing VAT and also the tolls. So we call it track access charges, but it's like a toll. Um, planes don't pay this toll. Rail pays a toll. Um, and we think that if you reduce the toll, it will allow to have uh, more uh, more trains and cheaper tickets. We made a, a report about it a year ago, where we said it could reduce the ticket price of 15%. John Worth, however, highlighted the challenges in getting an international agreement to fix this issue. You needed probably an international agreement to tax aviation fuel. Are you going to manage? Is that politically achievable in the European Union? I wish it were achievable. Um, I don't know whether that's going to be doable. There is going to be a very strong lobby pressure to to not do that, um, not least because airlines' bottom lines took a bit of a hit during the COVID pandemic. Um, there's a strong. There's going to be a strong pushback against that. There are other things that could be done to make such journeys easier for passengers. John Worth wants to see the EU oblige ferries to take foot passengers and, by extension, bikes. He also wants to see more information available to passengers about the difference in CO2 emissions between different types of transport. Something the EU is already working on is improving passenger experience, with a new Commission proposal tabled last month. 
Victor Tavernay welcomed the elements on improving information about delays and cancellations, and also information on how to book spaces for bikes and disabled seats, as well as the inclusion of more passenger rights. However, one of the big criticisms is that it fails to improve the purchase of tickets that span different transport options throughout a journey, exactly what John Worth and Kieran Cuff are advocating for between Brussels and Dublin. That's all we have time for today. Many thanks for joining me. I'll be back tomorrow with another episode of The Jolt. Remember, we're now coming to you every day, so make sure to tune in for all the latest climate and energy news. The latest episode of What Matters is also available for our subscribers today. It's all about renewable energy in the US, so make sure to go check that out. It will be available for everyone on Friday. The Jolt is free to air, so please do spread the word and share the episode if you enjoyed listening. Thanks to everyone at Foresight for helping make the jolt possible and shout out to Meet Island for providing the theme music. Until next time, thanks for being a part of the jolt.